0: Michael Austrilink here with another edition of Fine Wisdom. That's hashtag Fine, F E I N, Wisdom. I'm here with constitutional scholar Bruce Fine. Morning, Bruce. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Michael. So, Bruce, uh, I consider myself a Second Amendment fundamentalist, a strong proponent not of hunting animals or target shooting, but the inherent right of individuals to protect themselves, their lives, their property tyrannical governments, at the the largeness, or against individual criminals, or criminal syndicates, if you want to go to a smaller level. Um, However, I must say, uh, something that's concerned me recently, and I'm glad that you are here to discuss this with me, um, as someone who's been trained as a personal protection specialist, and has been licensed to carry in the state of Virginia, uh, at one point in my time, in my life, uh, I, I have done a lot of gun training, both safety and shooting. And I've been around a lot of people who also were in those same classes and were shooting, and kind of were kind of scary to consider that these people will be armed in my neighborhoods, conducting whatever business they're conducting. They they showed uh, no proficiency in the shooting, and showed no proficiency in the safety safe use of firearms, uh, which really concerns me as just a citizen walking around on the street. And these are people who will be actually licensed by the state for certain functions, security, PPS, PI. I'm not even talking about people who have a carry permit who have to take a safety class and that might be all. And a safety class might be just be 20 questions after watching a video online as it is in the state of Virginia. So I have cons- I'm trying to figure out how to balance my desire to, to see the Second Amendment fulfilled and my desire as a citizen to be safe in my community. And you have had, uh, given us a lot of thought, and have some interesting ideas on what we call gun control while recognizing the Second Amendment as an individual right.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, thanks for the, the very excellent question, Michael. And I do think if you look back historically uh, from the, the British experience that sort of carried over into our own constitution of having King James the II Uh, prohibit any of his non-Catholic, which are the majority of the the Anglican subjects uh, uh, from having arms uh, in order to try to prevent any kind of defense to his effort to roll back what Henry VIII did, which he didn't succeed in doing. King James was overthrown, if you will, by William and Mary. Uh, But there's certainly that idea of having an armed citizenry, if you will, um, a militia uh, available to oppressive government, certainly is, is part of our heritage. Uh, that said, however, we need to just recognize the obvious, which is unlike what I think the Founding Fathers intended, and if we had a sensible foreign policy we might have, uh, the United States now fields a staggering standing armed forces, you know, with staggering weapons that no private person could possibly uh, offset, no matter what bazookas or whatever else they had. I mean, it's just not... We have to reverse the idea of standing armies, which uh, the military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned against is, is, is growing rather than diminishing these days. So, uh, with regard to the idea of authorizing the citizens to be armed sufficiently to make a credible um, ability to offset our army and navy and air force uh, coast guard, I just think this Blinking at reality, and we just need to put that aside. I don't think anyone would be comfortable authorizing private citizens to have rockets and uh, the highest uh, uh, weapon weaponry and, and bombs that would destroy entire cities. Uh, putting that aside, I do think that the Supreme Court was right in the Heller case, uh, uh, followed by McDonald, saying that both against federal and state regulations, you do have a right of self-defense. I mean, that's kind of inherent in being a human being. And part of that right of self-defense is having uh, access to firearms that could protect you against an assault, uh, certainly in your home. But the Second Amendment is part of the Bill of Rights, you know, which has the First Amendment right to freedom of speech, and freedom of religion, freedom of association. All of them have limits. Uh, freedom of speech, as Holmes used to say, doesn't let you shout fire in a, in a crowded theater. Uh, there are limitations on all rights, so it's to, to try to suggest, in my judgment, that any regulation of guns is gun control is like suggesting any regulation of speech, even of obscenity, is speech control. We don't think of it in that terms; it's just not part of the, what we consider as as freedom of speech. And the right to bear arms doesn't mean the right to create reckless conditions which could cause you to hurt other people. Uh, just like the right to free speech doesn't mean you can defame people with intentional falsehoods. Uh, And therefore, I I think that it's not a a constructive concept to talk about gun control. We're talking about how can we most effectively acknowledge and chart the boundaries of the Second Amendment right like boundaries on all other rights. And it does seem to me that there are bona fide, legitimate government concerns about not uh, permitting certain people who have not been trained in safety uh, to have access that could create a clear and present danger to someone else's safety because they've not satisfied the re- typical requirements to have mental stability you don't want people who are mentally ill to have access to guns uh, and proficiency testing uh, that ensures that they have eyesight and that they've got training so that they use a gun and it's uh, intended for self-defense purposes and not you know to commit murder not to create reckless conditions to others and uh, thus I don't see myself uh, any uh, contradiction in Second Amendment right to bear arms with a requirement that if you are going to bear arms, you need to be trained and be certified as having uh, uh, not only mental stability, you're not on drugs and bipolar or something, uh, but also that you've been able to demonstrate proficiency to state authorities or other certified accredited authorities. Uh, so you're not going to use the gun in a way that uh, creates undue risks to others.
0: Would you make a distinction between someone having a firearm in their home or on their property, and someone having a firearm on their person in public?
1: I think there is a distinction. I think that if you're in the home, it's obvious that you're using this for self-defense purposes, and the risks that you're creating uh, are going to be. T- third parties are going to be far diminished, uh, just in your home because no one's there ordinarily, unless you've invited them in. They know risks there are, as opposed to out in the public, uh, where the uh, possibilities of harm multiply. I mean, for example, in Washington, D.C., you'd obviously want different restrictions on possessing a gun right outside the White House fence, you know, as opposed to some place out on the top of a mountain where no one is around. Uh, So, certainly, the Uh, the element of danger comes in uh, when you're dealing in highly urbanized society or especially sensitive uh, Situations concerning government affairs where the continuity of government is is very very important and those however I think need to be addressed on a case-by-case basis Uh, But the important thing I believe is that the the government shouldn't be regulating uh, firearms just for its own sake Uh, But if it doesn't have you know a credible no safety issue that's involved uh, that that is something that's a legitimate government objective, and you can argue the details. Uh, but overall, I don't. I wouldn't call that gun control. I would just call that part of what the Second Amendment is all about, just like the First Amendment is not about obscenity. It's about freedom of speech that contributes to political understanding, the, the search for truth in some higher way. Uh, and therefore, obscenity isn't regulating speech. It's just not part of the free speech
0: that the uh, Bill of Rights envisions. So when I go and purchase a firearm, I have to do a background check. I, send, I fill out a form with some information to, to make sure I say who, who I am is who I am, and I don't have criminal background. Um, I'm a legal citizen. I'm, I'm a citizen or I'm legally here. Um, do you think that type of background check should be done for every gun purchase or just a gun purchase in a store? And I'm thinking of these gun shows some of a weapon from one person to another?
1: Uh, gifts within families are one thing. Uh, yeah, you, know, you can make small exceptions, it seems to me, but if it's a commercial you know, arm's length uh, relationship, I think that there ought to be a background like that for all because it's, you're, an individual is no more likely, or greater or less likely to be proficient or not and uh, be mentally stable or not. Uh, whether he's buying it from a licensed firearms dealer or buying at a gun show. I don't know if there been any studies that shows that the risk of the gun getting into uh, hands that are untrustworthy is is less at a gun show. And uh, therefore, and especially I would think, although I'm not a technological guru, that the Internet and the digital age make it far easier and less burdensome to enable gun shows to come up with devices that can be as small as, you know, a hand calculator in order to do whatever a background investigation is to retrieve uh, whatever data that confirm that the purchaser is mentally stable and the citizen not straw, things of that sort. Uh, you talked about uh, possession of a farm near the White House, as an example,
0: or on top of a mountain. Would you support scaling the type of training required for a concealed or open
1: sense because the, you know, the the danger is lessened uh, because you don't live in dense uh, densely populated environments. Uh, I think those details, you'd want to hammer out the precise, you know, differentiation in the training and the proficiency, but it surely, it seems to me, makes all the sense in the world uh, to do that and may well be that in some rural communities out on farms uh, that... Uh, the, uh, the licensing requirement could be much diminished because the, the hazards to third parties are equally
0: diminished in, in those rural areas. There was an effort in the recent past, and it, it kind of died out since, it, since the uh, law uh, came out of effect on the quote-unquote assault, quote assault rifle ban. I think that was during the years, if I remember yeah. correctly. And I put that in quotes because it's actually not an assault rifle, you can't get fully automatic rifles. It's just the same automatic rifle scary, you know. Um, What are your thoughts on types of weapons that should be available to citizens? And I don't mean bazookas or rocket launchers or grenade launchers, just in terms of rifles and handguns, because there there have been efforts to limit access to certain handguns and rifles. Um, Also ammunition, any kind of limitations on ammunition? Well, to my mind, Michael, the important thing is
1: um, the the training and proficiency in, in making certain people are mentally stable. Uh, because if you trust them, then the differentiation sh- shouldn't be a problem. Um, and if you don't, even the tiniest amount of access becomes very problematic. And that's where I would focus you know, my attention, is making sure that the people who have access to the firearms or the ammunition, whatever quantities, you have a high confidence level, they're mentally stable, they're fully trained, and appreciate the importance of safety. Uh, and it, it, because once, once you're getting into the, the details the granular level you are I'm sure that gun manufacturers can change the dimensions or something so that it evades what you're trying to restrict in any event and that's you know let's not have this gamesmanship uh, I, I don't think that uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. The one other thing that I, I, I can, would continue to, to come back with is that is I don't think you know, the gun the Second Amendment is, is the same dignity as other amendments and it's not singling out no guns uh, rights different than any of other rights we have. There are limitations to everything. In fact, all of life, I say, is matters of degree. And many, I think, who are worried about any kind of uh, requirement relating to the possession and use of, of, of guns or firearms, think, well, they always talk about slippery slope. Well, you know, if you can go one step, then you can go a mile. The answer is, that's not true. I mean, all of life is drawing lines. All of law is drawing lines. No, if you tell your your, your child, well, all right, well, tonight you can go out till ten o'clock. You know, maybe they're fourteen years old. That doesn't mean that the next time you have to tell them it's ten thirty and eleven. No, you said it. it's ten o'clock, and he stays at ten. Why is that? Because you said it. And ten o'clock makes sense for ones fourteen years old. Um, so this idea that you you know once you authorize any kind of uh, limitation at all, any kind of requirement, then the next day is, is confiscation of, of guns is utterly ridiculous. Uh, under that theory, we would have uh, an anarchical society and government couldn't regulate anything. It's like saying, oh, well, let's not even have government at all because once you have government, then it might have power to limit guns. And So then we're in the state of nature, a war of all against all, and that's not going to be a, a very pleasant uh,
0: living arrangement. Thank you, Bruce.